Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're in Prague. We are in Prague. It's nice here. It's, uh, this is my first time to the oh, city. Yeah. Um, I went out last night. Uh, Richard Morris is also here. Oh, yes. You got both Richards. The How both, confusing. Yeah, it was, it, my world's kind of collided. My heads are exploding. Uh, my two Richard podcast co-hosts. Um, anyway, we were walking around last night in Prague. We went downtown to have some meat, as nice. you do. As you do. And it was just beautiful. So I'm looking forward to Saturday. We're going on a little tour. But we're here at the Update.net conference. And this is the first time they've had this conference here. Yep, brand new. And what a success. They yeah, were shooting for like 300 people. They got yeah. 450. Something like that, yeah. It's a big, big room. My room was full. People yeah. were pretty excited. Yeah, uh, people are very excited. Talk about an evolving community, right? You're growing to a place now where they can host their own event annually at least. Right. And uh, help grow this community even larger. Yep. It's awesome. All right. Well, uh, uh, Adam Sitnik is here. We're going to be talking to him in just a minute. But first, let's do the thing we call Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you know? What do I know? Well, I know about this this app slash hardware solution that I'm going to talk about right now. It's called Fixed, Hmm. F-I-X-D. And believe it or not, I first heard about it on Car Talk. Now, I know Car Talk is off the air. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, and and Tom Moyazzi died. He's actually passed away, yeah. Yeah, but Ray is still alive and he still does ads for the reruns for the podcast, even though it's off the air. Because they're still being listened to, and so he's got new ads being inserted. Exactly, that's yeah. pretty pretty amazing to think about that. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, so, and I don't know that everybody knows it listens, but this yeah. show is modeled after Car Talk. Well, such so we don't laugh quite as much as they. They're do. pretty goofy, <laughs> but I've never been held. I've never held back of being goofy after listening to those. No, guys. it's true, and, and they have laughed so hard they've had to stop. You know, like. Cry, they're crying yeah, they're no, laughing I'm, so hard I've had that experience just not on this show <laughs> <laughs> on that other show on that other yeah. show anyway um, so Fixed F-I-X-D is a hardware app, an app solution that um, you plug the hardware thing it's a little Bluetooth thing that plugs into the to the data port of your car Maybe the OBD uh, OBD port yeah yeah so everybody's Everybody who has a modern car, essentially since the 90s or something, mm-hmm. has one of these ports. And when you go to the garage to get your car looked at, the first thing they do is plug a computer into this port and download all sorts of stuff from your car's computer. Right. Which includes, you know, um, uh, maintenance, timeline, the vehicle history, mileage, and also all sorts of diagnostic things that the car computer has recorded right. along the way. So. It, they don't really have to tinker around mechanically with your car to find any, diagnose any problems. Depends. I mean, there's some classes of problems that show up in OBD. You're, yeah, you're absolutely yeah. right. Uh, you're absolutely right. There are some. But here's the cool thing. You can just plug this in and know before you bring your car to the garage what that check engine light actually means. Yeah. No, that's really useful. Yeah. And so, you, you know, you're less apt to have somebody pull the wool over your eyes. Yeah. Not that they do, but you know, you never know. At you never know. You, at least you have a sense of what's going on. You have a little bit. You're a little bit more involved. Yeah. So it's uh, get fixed, g e t f i x d dot i o, uh, or of course this is show sixteen eleven. So you can go to sixteen eleven dot pwop dot me to learn more about it. Awesome. Yeah. Who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show fifteen fifty nine, recorded back in July of twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. 
And this is the show with Dustin Metzgar called .NET Core in Action. Mm-hmm. So I know we're going to talk a little .NET Core. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of fun conversations with him, actually. And this is a, a, a comment from Jimmy Hedden, who said, Excellent, strangely funny show, guys. Why is that strange? That's not that strange. <laughs> whilst. Okay, Jimmy, you used the word whilst, and you called us strange. Let's you get extra, extra points there for that, go. Jimmy. Whilst I agree that the current pace of .NET Core is extremely fast, which will impact countless books and blog posts attempting to tame it, I, for one, love that Microsoft has been iterating at what must be an unprecedented cadence for .NET releases. Mm. Which, I mean, is true. They're going remarkably fast. But I feel like, I mean, Windows certainly, but Studio 2 at the cadence they're releasing right now is struggling. Yep, they're I having it. quality problems. Yes, and, they are. Uh, folks are, are getting frustrated with it, and they're and then they're suggesting that they should slow down. Mm. I don't know if that's actually the answer. I think I don't, don't know. Ship broken bits would be the better answer. Something something occurs to me that you know they're putting more resources into code right now. Visual right. Studio Code, maybe, but they're two different teams. So yeah. I don't understand why why the uh, I problems. think that, I think you're dealing with a team. Well, a Studio still has like 98 bits in it. Mm. So let's be empathetic about mm. they are working on a very old 20 plus year old code base in some yeah. respects and that they continue to modify um and that it's a challenge to build good enough tests around it to iterate as quickly as they are mm. but uh yeah i would be keener in fewer new features and more stability great uh and i hope they keep going that route uh and so that's you know as, as exciting as it is to see us shipping out a band and new stuff coming all the time uh, as long as the quality's there, I think that's important. But mm-hmm. Jimmy goes on to ask me, Richard, any chance we'll be ch- publishing work in progress chapters for the book on GitHub? Mm. You previously interviewed someone who mentioned this approach worked wonders for them, and I don't remember what his name is, and the collaborative environment would surely make a good sounding board if you're looking to try a couple of different approaches. Mm. I am not thinking of that right now for this book, but I've also come to appreciate that I have amassed enough research that it might be more than one book. Not that I want to do an anthology of like the history of .NET, right. but that the book that that I want to write first is much more the political history of .NET, how .NET moved through Microsoft and interacted with the community as opposed to any given stack. Right. You know, .NET is a lot of things to a lot of different people. Mm. I talked to folks who's whole relationship with .NET has been web development mm. or has been desktop development or has been mobile development. Yeah. And I almost think those are separate stories. For a while there, I played with, could I do each one? Or maybe, could I have build, do a build your own adventure? Tell me what topics you care about and I'll generate you a book. Right. But I've really gone back to, I'm going to write this core book first, mm. sort of fundamentals of, of the history of .NET, and then explore, could we do a book solely focused on on the history of web development at Microsoft. So I wouldn't just do .NET even, but the active server pages. And right. that, I think, might make a really interesting collaborative book mm-hmm. more than mm-hmm. this overarching piece that I'm and, doing. And also starting with the history of the internet, you know, because there was a lot of web stuff going on in the Unix world before sure. Microsoft got even on board. Yeah. And uh, they well, had you know, to I've learn d- some hard lessons, I I've think. I've now done a talk on the history of web development just because apparently I'm turning into a historian. Mm. And uh, it's been very interesting to talk to the different audiences about exactly that. Yeah. What they learned and what they didn't. Um, Jimmy wraps up by saying, Thank, keep up the great work. This episode, 1559, represents my passage into the 100% of episodes listened to club. 
Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of episodes. Yeah. So congratulations, Jimmy. And thanks so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at donnetrocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there as well. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We'll diagnose your problems for free. <laughs> But first, we're going to have to stick a USB into you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and by the way, uh, Music to Code By is now up to 18 tracks. Congratulations, uh, friend. Yeah. And you can get all 18 of those tracks in one downloadable MP3 bundle for only $42 because that's the answer to everything. Yes. It's a good name. Yeah. All right. And let us introduce our guest, Adam Sitnik. Uh, Adam Sitnik is a software engineer at Microsoft focused on .NET performance and reliability He contributes to a few open source projects, Benchmark.net, Core CLR, Core FX Lab, and the awesome .NET performance list. Adam has spent much of his professional life working on systems for energy producers and distributors, including projects such as energy trading, production optimization, balance settlement, and critical events detection. So far, no blackouts. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Adam is also an ex-MMA practitioner, AFOL, rabbit owner, and a huge Star Wars fan. MMA is mixed martial arts? Yes. You are kind of a beefy guy. I think you probably mess us both up. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't want to mispronounce your name, by the way. Yeah. Nobody would do that. Nobody would do that. Yeah. Well, uh, and and, uh, I didn't know anybody who owned any Volkswagen rabbits uh, after 1990, whatever. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You, you own real rabbits, right? Yes. And recently, I have adopted second rabbit. So, now we have two of them. And they're really lovely. Are they now, pets or just, food? Yeah. Pets, of course. Okay. Oh. So, the question is now, will you soon have many rabbits? No. Yeah. Because the, the main requirement for adopting a rabbit is to make sure that it cannot have more rabbits. Uh, yeah, that's okay. Right. So, there are rules around all that. I learned that. that when I was 10. <laughs> um, my father uh, got rabbits for me and uh, built a hutch where they could go around. And one day we discovered a lot of dead baby rabbits. Yeah. Apparently, um, not only do they reproduce quickly, but the male rabbits will kill the babies. Yes, they will. Yeah. Rodents aren't always friendly and fun. No. You see that in hamsters and gerbils and. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, let's, let's talk about real stuff here. We're talking about uh, spanification. What does that mean? It means to take advantage of span and make your application even faster. Span cool. of T? Yes, span of T. The new span which got shipped in system.memory package and requires C 7.2 to get it working. The concept behind span is quite simple. It allows us to work with any kind of memory because it's just a pointer and a length inside. Hmm. So we can create span for unmanaged memory, managed memory, stack allocated memory. And the so I thought I thought we didn't have to deal with pointers in .NET anymore. So it's not really a pointer pointer to an absolute memory location. Or, yeah. right? So it's an abstraction. So from yeah. the end user perspective, you could think of it like of a new array that can point to any kind of memory. I see. And when you create it from a stack alloc, you don't even have to use unsafe. You can do span of byte equals stack alloc okay. and provide the number of bytes that you want to allocate. And so the big benefit is performance? Yes. And uh, when you think of it, when it's internally a pointer and a length, which represents any kind of memory, and you want to take just a slice of some part of it, like for example, you do when you want to do a substring, then instead of allocating any new memory and copying it, 
we just move the pointer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, slicing is immediate. So, one of the benefits of unmanaged memory in C++, for example, is that you can just sort of look at a chunk of memory as any kind of type, right? You know, you can say, oh, this is a bunch of data. I can turn it in, you know, read it as a bunch of ints. I can read it as bytes. I can read it as a string. You know, you're sort of in placing a type over it, if you if you will. What's the benefit? I mean, besides performance, is there any that kind of morphism yes um so if you would like to turn a span of one value type to a span of different value type mm. there is a memory marshal type with a cast method which allows you to do exactly that great so i remember when i was searching many years ago for a question on stack overflow how how do i turn an array of floats to an array of bytes because i wanted to write it into a stream right. now it's just a single call and the action is also immediate because it's just a cast. So with uh, managed memory structures, you can use the convert, like to byte, use convert, you know, convert to int 32 when you have something that's of a different type, um, you know, a long to an int 32, for example, yes. int 64 to int 32. And, and that kind of thing uh, does. And then there's also a bit converter, which does uh, arrays, I believe, if my coffee brain is working this morning but um what you're saying is that there are a lot of extra steps in copying memory that go on with those things uh this way this way you're just essentially moving the pointer it's really really fast yes exactly uh those methods do calculate something and here with marshall memory marshall we don't change anything we just change the type Wow. To represent. And we also calculate new length because, for example, a span of single float is length of one. And mm. if we turn it into a span of bytes, it's going to be four bytes. Yeah. When you say unmanaged memory buffers, are we literally talking outside of garbage collection and regular .NET operating space? Yes. So most of the .NET developers are familiar with new operator, which allocates memory on the managed heap. Mm-hmm. Mm. But we also do have the possibility to use unmanaged heap and stack allocated memory. Mm. Okay. To allocate memory on the unmanaged heap, you need, you need to use Marshall API. Uh, but you can store their only values. You cannot store managed pointer on the unmanaged heap. Moreover, um, if you think of it like of an unmanaged memory, you need to remember that you are responsible for freeing it right. because it's unmanaged. And also the order of allocation matters because for the managed memory, GC can compact the memory for you. Right. With done managed memory, the, the order which you allocate and free memory can affect the fragmentation. Well, you're going to have fragmentation mm. because if it's unmanaged memory chunk and you're laying it in the same space as where the GC is going to work, it's just not going to touch it. It's going to work around it. But the GC won't work in the unmanaged yes. space, right? So this is why it's called unmanaged. Like it's not managed by a GC. So it's the same process, mm-hmm. but the GC is not aware of this part of memory. Okay. So it's you're writing into a different location then. Yes. It's not mm-hmm. part of the heat. Yes. Okay. Well, I think it's an and important the advantage is that... Um, you don't create any pressure for the GC because it doesn't have to manage this memory. Right. It doesn't have to clean it up, compact, whatever. So people typically put their huge chunks of bytes or integers, something that they want to hide from garbage collector. Right. And so I would think big chunks of memory is what we're yes. talking about. Like, for example, you could implement an unmanaged memory pool and just take small chunks of it using Spun. Sure. Is there any chance that since it's unmanaged that um, things could get overwritten 
by other code. So it's up to you as a software engineer. Of course, uh, it, it's possible. What? Responsible behavior by developers? Hmm. <laughs> What's that about? But if you would like to have a memory which is uh, always safe, you can use, uh, when it comes to concurrency, of course, use stack-allocated memory. Because stack-allocated right. memory can be accessed only by a single thread at the same time. Right. Cool. So the unmanaged heap is still in the process. So your app that's running is the only app that's going to talk to that memory, correct? Yes. All right. So when you say you have to be careful, you don't you don't actually tell it where to create um, memory. But when you allocate memory, can you be sure if I allocate uh, a span of memory from one section in my app and I allocate another span of memory later, you can be sure that those two spans won't overlap each other? Or is there a possibility that when you write over the first span, if you okay. go beyond the length of it, you could run into some and other So, span, span. ensures uh, type and memory safety. Mm -hmm. And when you are creating it out of unmanaged memory, you have to provide the length. Okay. And it doesn't allow you to get to change behind it. the length. So no it, doesn't, it doesn't allow you to increase the length. Yes. Ah, that's it. You can only just slice it. That's the key. So that's the reason why you can use this without fear of writing over. Yes. Yeah. That's smart. That's very great. I mean, you're basically getting the best uh, aspects of managed memory, which is safety. Yep. You know that nothing else is going to touch this. Uh, and speed. Wow. That's great. Um, what are the downsides? So when it comes to stack allocated memory, do you know what happens when you try to allocate two megabytes of stack allocated memory in Windows? Two megabytes of stack allocated memory. So like if I'm in a method and I cr try to create a two megabyte array, what happens? Stack overflow exception. Yes. Boom! On, on Windows, we have this limitation that uh, the stack can be up to one megabyte. On Linux, it's different per distro. For the primal thread, it's typically eight megabytes. For the background threads, it's typically two megabytes. Oh, okay, let's make a distinction. That's not the actual space of the memory. That's the number of items on the stack? That's the maximum size of the stack. So, uh, and on the stack, you put, we put your local variables mm -hmm. of the method mm -hmm. and also the stack allocated memory. So, if I try to load a JPEG file, let's say that's four megabytes into a string, boom, I've done that before. Yeah, but not to a stack allocated memory. Right. So, you need to be very careful when you are using the stack alloc keyword because this is allocating memory on the stack. So, if I'm in a method and I create a variable, isn't that on the stack? Uh, if it's a value type, it's on the stack. Oh, it's a value type. Yes. Okay. And if it's a reference type, the memory is actually in the managed heap. Yes. However... Right. But the reference is on the stack. Yes, exactly. Yeah. However, two weeks ago, a new pull request to CoreCLR was merged, which allows runtime to choose if it would like to allocate reference types on the stack. Ooh. However, as of today, this behavior is still disabled. But we will have to update all of our slides, books, and everything. <laughs> <laughs> if it goes ahead. And I'm going to interrupt you for just a moment here, Adam, for this very important message. This episode of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Datadog, a monitoring and analytics platform combining infrastructure monitoring, application performance monitoring, and log management into a one-stop shop. Datadog helps leading companies migrate to the cloud, transform to a microservices architecture, and transition from .NET to .NET Core. Their distributed tracing and APM provide end-to-end -end visibility into requests wherever they go, across hosts, containers, 
and service boundaries. See for yourself. Start a 14-day free trial, and Datadog will send you a free T-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin here at Prague, or in Prague, Mm -hmm. at the Update Conference. And we're here with Adam Sitnik, and we're talking a little bit about .NET Core 2.1, C Sharp 7.2, and the memory SDK that gives us these new, potentially dangerous capabilities. But as as soon as you mentioned that sort of one meg limit, like that's OS stuff we're talking about. I think for .NET people, we've been isolated from the OS for a long time. Yes. And our target audience are people who create libraries. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So other people could just consume it. Right. So we hope that the library authors are going to get the best of Spun and other developers will be just relying on that. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And of course, it plays really well into .NET Core, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, it, .NET Core is all about performance. Yes. We want to have really, really fast web platform that allows for great cloud scenarios yeah yeah no, we don't you, want to have any overhead from the framework so this is why we give you things like spun what's your role here you you, you live in poland yes i live in poland and i work remotely for the dotnet team okay mm. i'm currently a performance champion my job is to take care of the performance culture uh to take care of the performance tools mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. benchmark.net or Perview. right I also do a lot of performance investigations. Like, for example, currently I'm looking into the performance of ML.NET. I'm trying to identify some potential bottlenecks and places where .NET framework could do a better job. So if I could ask my manager to, for example, investigate if it's worth to create a new type, something like Span, or maybe the thing that I have implemented last week uh, called UTF-8 Parallel file parser right <laughs> parallel file parser yeah. yeah so in ml.net we parse really huge files like gigabytes of data mm-hmm. and i have realized that uh, with the things that we have as of today it's really hard to take advantage of all your cpus mm. yeah no it is and and the diminishing value of your cpus as well like it's it's hard. You always have one core pinned. It's a question of what other core, how yeah. what your other cores are up to. Yeah. And just to give you an example, I was able to cut the time it takes to parse a real ML file from two and a half minutes to forty seconds. Nice. And that was just parallelizing properly and utilizing multiple cores. Yes, and utilizing span. Utilizing span. So yes. it was. Do you, do you see that the benefit was memory efficiency or CPU utilization? <clears throat> Both. Okay. And whenever you try to improve the code, you should first of all focus on getting the best out of the single threaded. Mm-hmm. So once you squeeze the single thread cpu performance then you can parallelize it right. so the first thing i did i have used span and a new type called utf8 parser mm-hmm. which allows us to work with spans of bytes which are just representing utf8 strings and by doing that i was able to cut like 40 seconds nice wow. and then i just parallelize it and then parallel because parallelization has an overhead too you are breaking across the work you are making calls across cores yes and this is why it's really important to not do it for example for small files because sure. it would just take longer it's not it's not worth the overhead yes do you and again i'm throwing sort of throwing hardware terms in here 
Is there a visibility for us working with SPAN in terms of the memory, the NUMA memory availability across processors, or do we not have to think about that? You don't have to think about it. Okay, so memory is just memory. Don't worry about what the CPUs need to do to get at it. Yes, exactly. Okay. Is there a way that you can, when you create a SPAN, tell it whether you want it to be in managed, unmanaged, or stack? Yes. So SPAN has a few constructors. Uh, One of them accepts managed array. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other one accepts a pointer Mm -hmm. and the length. So it's up to you what you are going to try to create. Mm. However, when you are providing a pointer and the length, we are making sure that the type which you are going to create span for, like bytes mm-hmm. or whatever, does not contain any managed references. I see. So span assures memory and type safety. So it's interesting that they allow stack allocated memory structures. You know, um, why would you use a span? on the stack rather than just a managed performance, I guess? Yes, and a safe lifetime. Uh-huh. And also, when the method ends, the the stack is being unwinded and everything allocated on the stack is gone. Mm. So the, the allocation is immediate and stack-allocated memory doesn't have a lot of use cases. Typically, you allocate very small chunks of stack-allocated memory, something okay. like 200 bytes, 1 kilobyte, sure. mm-hmm. just to, for example, parse a line or... Uh, format a string. Mm. So, And it's also important to remember that stack overflow cannot be cached because there is not enough of space on the stack to execute cache block. Right. And this exception is killing entire process. It, it cannot be cached? It cannot be cached. You, you're not going to... can't be caught. Not oh, cached, but caught. caught. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, as opposed to cache. No, it's really important. It's like, right. you're not going to recover from this. The OS is going to kill you. Right. Yes. It's welcome back to the old days where your app went away. Mm. Yes. And, and this is why our official recommendations are to be very careful when using stack-allocated memory. Mm-hmm. Moreover, C-sharp 7.2 does some extra safety checks. Mm-hmm. So it's going to prevent you from doing some things that you shouldn't be doing. Uh, but you need to remember that the size of allocated stack memory shouldn't be, for example, dependent on the input from the user. Yeah, this is not sanit- this is sanitize your inputs. Know what's coming in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You're going to explode. It could have be a vector attack. Like somebody could have created a web request that would we'll kill your, make you. Kill your service. Yeah. yeah. It'll work just fine too. All I got to do yeah. is fire you a meg and a half and you're done. Yeah. This is why if you go to CoreFX or CoreCLR and you've, you, you've searched for stack alloc, you will see that every pull request which is using this keyword goes through detailed security review. Right. We have security champions in Microsoft and mm. they make sure that we are not accepting anything that could be dangerous. This is literally a buffer overflow exploit mm. opportunity. Hmm. I'm just delighted we're talking about Stack Overflow and it's not the website. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Plus, so, you know, it's been a long time since we talked about, you know, real Memory computer management. science anything. Yeah. yeah. We don't have to... We've had so many years of not thinking about memory I management. I know, yeah. You know, I think... Chris Sells might have been the last person to talk. The 32-64-bit versions of the OS and how we did memory allocation around ASP.NET and things, I think, is a little more recent. But even that's years ago. Yeah. Right. We don't even think about it. Do you, do you see any reason to run a 32-bit mode for any of this stuff anymore? Is it just 64 all the time now? Personally, I go 64. Yeah. However, there are some other scenarios like IoT and some yeah. more constraints. Sure. Where, we, where we're dealing with hardware that is still yeah. 32-bit. We don't need all the memory. We need speed and performance. Yeah. Or when you have to develop a software that you just have to use some dependency that is built 
That's what right. I thought the sure. sure. Yeah. Well, that used to be the biggest issue for me was often the drivers we were depending on were the only, the, they had 64-bit ones. They just didn't work. <laughs> or they weren't signed properly. They're just unreliable. And if they didn't work, they weren't funking hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, this is part of .NET Core 2.1 and C Sharp 7.2. How do you get those bits? So, there is system.memory package. Right. And this package doesn't support only .NET Core. It targets oh. 16 target frameworks. Oh, my wow. goodness. Including .NET Standard 1.0, Mono, Xamarin, hmm. Unity, and a few other things. So, wow. I could be directly writing to memory in a phone? That couldn't cause any problems at all. Mm. <laughs> wow. What was your involvement in SPAN? Oh, the development of it. It's actually a very special type to me because it was my first open source contribution back in 2015. No wow. kidding. Were you working for Microsoft then? No. Ah. Um, I have read a blog post from Aaron Stannard complaining about uh, the state of uh, .NET open source community. Mm. And Aaron explained what he did in his small startup to develop a single app in .NET. Mm -hmm. And he had to port Akka from Java to .NET, mm -hmm. implement few algorit algorithms. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the blog post, Aaron asked what other .NET developers are doing. Are they just writing Hello World? Mm, right. And at this moment of time, I was like, no, hell no. I'm writing software for, you know, preventing blackouts. So <laughs> it's a serious thing. And um, two days later, uh, Joe Duffy has posted a message on Twitter that he have created a new project called Slice. It was called Slice back then. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And my one of my favorite ways of learning is to read somebody else's code. Yeah. And Joe is one of my gurus. So Amazing I just immediately yeah. cloned the repo and started reading the code. And I found a few places that could have been improved from mm. the performance perspective. Yeah. And I did create my first pull request. Wow. Oh, yeah. There's and, and Joe's uh, Slice.net is still on GitHub. I'll, I'll conclude a link to it. That's great. And that became Span? Yes. Wow. That's so and The story doesn't end ends here because later on it was moved to CoreFX Lab. And CoreFX Lab is uh, experimental lab for CoreFX, which is the basic class library of mm. .NET. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we put things that are promising there. And if they are, mm, if they are tested, and we believe that they should be part of .NET Framework. We moved them to CoreFX. Okay. And a few years ago, uh, when CoreFX Lab, mm, for, when the span was moved to CoreFX Lab, yeah. uh, I wanted to improve its performance. However, my favorite benchmarking tool didn't work, Benchmark.net, because CoreFX Lab was targeting .NET Core. Ah, right. And at this moment of time, I had no idea what .NET Core was. But I was really angry that my favorite benchmarking tool doesn't work. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to port benchmark.net to .NET Core. <laughs> yeah. It took me five weeks. And after I was done, uh, a week later, the DNX was depreciated and I had to do it one more time. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah. You got really good at that. <laughs> yes. And so this is how I got involved into Benchmark.net. Oh. Only because I wanted to make the benchmarks for Span working for .NET Core. That's how all this came down. When did you join Microsoft? Uh, in January this year. Okay. So the, most of this work was done as your side gig for yes. fun. Yes. <laughs> and then they, and do you feel like that was part of your resume that they, did they recruit you or did you choose to join Microsoft? Uh, I think it was mutual. Yeah. Um, however, to get the possibility to work remotely, I think this was, uh, 
really important. Yeah, key yeah. part. Well, yeah. and obviously you're capable of making contributions remotely. You had been anyway. Mm. The problem, of course, is that Aaron is creating a situation where it's self-fulfilling. As soon as you find a, th- a third-party contributor that's really great at adding to the core FX model, they hire them. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if it's th- if it's the case uh, for everybody. No. Uh, and w- one of the rules uh, that I have learned at, at Microsoft is you need to ask. Yeah. And the story of me getting hired was, I was here a year and a half ago and I met Karel Zygmunt at .NET Meetup. Mm-hmm. So I was giving a talk here. And uh, we went for a chat. We had a very nice conversation. And when we were coming back to the hotel, uh, we have met our friend, Elizabeth, who is a recruiter at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth said something like, hey, did you talk about work? Mm. And Karel was like, do you want to work for us? <laughs> of course nah. but uh, I, don't, I know that you don't allow for remote work and Carol said yep for some exceptional people we do yeah so mm. this is how it got started wow do you, do you get regular trips to Redmond out of it though yes yeah I'm flying to Redmond next week it's a long way mm. yes it is yeah but yeah part of the job can we talk about some of the uh, new types that are in here like UTF-8 parser Yes. Um, so we need to understand that string in .NET is UTF-16. Mm-hmm. So anytime you read uh, something which is UTF-8 and you turn it into a string, you allocate memory, and copy, in- and so it's an overhead. And mm-hmm. the internet seems to thrive on UTF-8. Yes. Yeah. So for .NET Core 2.1, we have released UTF-8 parser and UTF-8 formatter, which mm-hmm. allows you to work with span of bytes and treat it as an UTF-8 string. Okay. So we allow for very fast, fast parsing and formatting. And moreover, in .NET Core 3.0, we are going to ship UTF-8 string. So this kind of in the managed world would be under system text.utf8, all of those things, right, where you're converting byte arrays and things like that yes yeah all right good well yeah we need that kind of stuff and the formatter the utf-8 formatter is the way that you you do it what's the difference between the parser and the formatter so the parsing is parsing values out of utf-8 string and the formatter is formatting the values that you provide into a utf-8 oh i see it's just the direction yes okay well that's easy to know what's a array pool uh array pool is a pool of managed arrays Mm. Uh, because if you want to get rid of allocations you can either go go and use unmanaged memory or pull the managed memory and when it comes to unmanaged memory it of course has a lot of disadvantages like the issues with safety you need to remember about releasing it Mm. however uh, you can also just pull managed memory Mm -hmm. and reuse it Mm. so we have shipped a new type called RIPool which allows you to just rent and return byte arrays. Mm. Uh, one important thing is that RIPool has a shared property, which has the instance of default pool. You can also create your own pool. However, I really encourage people to not do that because the purpose is to have as few huge arrays allocated as possible. Mm-hmm. So if you start creating your own pools just to pull memory, then you will end up with even more memory that right. you would just have when you would allocate single array. Yeah. So the API is extremely simple. RIPool.shirt, you got the pool, and then uh, pool.rent, you, you get you get it, and pool.return, and you return it. Okay. 
So it's just in the duration of that method gives you, lets you pass the buffer back. Yeah. I like the concept of renting memory because haven't we always only ever rented memory really? <laughs> the OS <laughs> always gets to take it back whenever it wants to. <laughs> so t to a guy like you, it's pretty obvious when you would use a span in unmanaged memory, but it might not be so obvious to the listener. Can you provide a few scenarios and when you would use these different areas of memory with the span? <clears throat> so first of all, I believe that the un the managed memory should be also always the default choice. Okay. Uh, when it comes to unmanaged heap memory, if you get into troubles with large object heap, like yeah. you allocate a lot of huge managed arrays, um, which contain only value types, yeah, then you could consider using unmanaged heap. When it comes to stack allocated memory, um, only small chunks of memory. Yeah up to kilobyte never sure. in a recursive method and never right. depending on the user input right right and if you would like to find more usages uh, everything we do now in microsoft is open source in dotnet so mm. you could go to asp.net repositories like kestrel mm -hmm. and search for stackalloc mm -hmm. or marshall and find the way asp.net is using it yeah mm -hmm. so um, if if you have like a, a set of dynamic things, like an array of strings, let's say, that's probably something that you wouldn't want to put in the unmanaged heap, right? Because the length of those things are going to change all the time and yes. the amount of memory they're going to use. But if you have something that's static, like let's say, you know, a list of countries, for example, you know, this like the this is the classic list of static data that's never going to change, list of countries and country codes, something you want to look up really quickly that isn't going to change. Yeah, but you need to remember that you cannot put managed pointers to the unmanaged heap. Because uh, DC works in the way that when it cleans up the memory in the generations, it might decide to compact the memory. Mm. And when it's compacting the memory, it's updating the pointers. Mm -hmm. However, if you put, if you would put a reference type to unmanaged heap, it has no idea about its existence. So it wouldn't uh, update this pointer. I see. This is why when you try to create span out of unmanaged memory, we check yeah. if the generic type uh, have pointers. If it I has, see. you are going to get an exception. Okay. That's why you said value types only. Yes. So, yeah. for example, when you're reading a file and you are using streamreader.read method mm -hmm. and you are re reading these bytes into a buffer, mm -hmm. this is where you could use unmanaged memory. Because they're just bytes, they're just values. And you know how big any given read is going to be, so you're not worried there. Yes, but mm, when it comes to the read method, you have to specify the length. Right. So, you're just reading chunks, chunks, chunks. Yes. So, mm. you would so have to... So, at a time or whatever yeah. chunk makes you happy. Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Fast, fast, fast. I, I'm thinking I'm going to talk to Mark Heath about N-Audio. Oh, I see. Because uh, he uses, you know, audio buffers with ASIO, but they're managed buffers. Well, and this yeah. is particularly what you were saying is like, Folks that are building libraries for other developers to consume mm. can get these performance benefits and memory utilization benefits uh, in their libraries. So that's exactly the same. And actually, he's using unsafe mode in some of those things. Hmm. But uh, what's the what's the difference between using unsafe mode to do pointers in in the managed heap versus uh, spans in the unmanaged heap? <coughs> Span gives you type and memory safety because it has all of the safety checks for okay. you. Okay. So you don't need to go unsafe. I see. And um, but performance is on par. 
Yes. Okay. Exactly. And sometimes it's even faster. Mm. Uh, and moreover, when you are using unsafe in C sharp, you need to remember that CLR has the feature called IL verification. Yeah. So to ensure safety, it's validating the IL that you produce. So for example, to prevent from accessing an element in an array that belongs to a different array. Yeah. But when you go unsafe, we don't do that. We cannot do that because mm. you are using pointers and we cannot validate this code. Yeah. And some of the cloud providers can, for example, uh, put a requirement on you. Like you could run your .NET code, uh -huh. but only the one that can pass IL verification. Okay. Wow. And cool. we've spun and all of the features from C Sharp 7.2 and C Sharp 7.3, you don't really need to go unsafe anymore. Hmm. Is there anything else that we need to know about Span that we haven't talked about? Mm. And maybe one more thing. Whenever you are not sure what to choose in terms of performance, you should profile it. Hmm. And if your friend, as you said, is using audio streams uh, and he's using currently managed memory, hmm. he should have right benchmark against pool managed memory and against unmanaged memory. Okay. Sure. So we should always measure. We should never be guessing. Like, yeah. And surprisingly, unmanaged memory isn't always the fastest, and hmm. we, we need to measure that. Yeah. Sure. It did, the, you just got to benchmark it and figure out if it's actually going to make a difference or not. Makes sense. Yes. Because you're also making riskier code. Like, you have to be a lot more careful when you're playing with unmanaged memory. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So if it's not going to give you a big benefit, it's just not worth the risk for future maintainability. Yes. This is why it's not our default recommendation. Sure. It's a possibility. If you know what you are doing and you know every advantages and disadvantages and you accept the risk well it's like managing your own thread same thing most of the time you're going to do it wrong yeah you know it's, <laughs> it's like four people who know how to do it right and you're not one of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what's next for you adam what, what what's in your inbox besides going to redmond oh um i'm currently also looking into the release of dotnet 2.2 to make sure we have no regressions mm-hmm mm. Yes. And um, we also have, uh, we also plan for some new performance related features. Uh, we also work on tired cheating currently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> there is a lot of things going on with performance. Cool. Yeah. Exciting times. And I yeah. love that it's across operating systems too. Yeah. So, you know, it, it feels like this uh, system memory class is about being able to respect the variations in operating systems while using .NET stuff. Mm. Yes. It's really powerful. And I love the fact that it's open source. Uh, I've been working at Microsoft for almost a year, mm -hmm. and I so far I haven't touched anything which wasn't open source. That's great. Really neat. Yeah. yeah. You live in GitHub yeah. for your job. So I'm, I'm not even using VPN. Wow. It's, okay. it's just open source. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, SSL is enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, thanks very much for being with us today. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for having me. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, 
recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I